Hey, goblins and ghouls. Happy Halloween from the McCurry Podcast. I'm Jared Yates Saxton. I'm here with Nick Houseman. Nick, you and I were talking before we started recording this thing about big candy. I dropped about $80 on candy yesterday. I still don't think it's enough. I, I It's out of control. We need to do something about it. <laughs> well, I guess I'm going to be, uh, you're getting me prepared. I have to go to the store today. Uh, maybe there won't be any candy left to buy. Yes. I have no idea. Is that, was that a feeling for you? It looked, it looked like peak pandemic levels of empty shelves with candy. Big candy's out of control. I, I, I'm sorry. I Listen, I'm a candy fanatic. I love chocolate. I love fruit candy. I love it all. I'm an equal opportunity candy enthusiast, but even I have to admit that there's a problem. Well, it's just this would be my chance to say that I think something like Skittles should be eradicated from the. Uh, you, you, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, there, there are some things that you and I disagree on, and and you know it's it's coming to the forefront here and there when we're talking about current politics. But man, your candy takes are god awful. I'm telling you, when you it crunches and it becomes this little granular, like you're biting sand. I don't understand. Nick, wants Nick I I just want to bring the new muckrake podcast listeners up to speed in case they didn't know this nick houseman was the one who once said on a live show i've never had a reese's peanut butter cup and then we made you eat a reese's peanut butter cup and you said "Eh, it's fine your your candy takes are garbage i'm sorry well um what's a good candy to you Oh, Snickers is the best candy. Snickers is that it's a it's a good candy. Nestle's Crunch. Um, Nestle's Crunch is a decent candy. You know, I don't know what else. I don't eat. I don't eat a ton of that stuff. So it's like uh, even growing up when I drank Coke for breakfast, I, I didn't do like you know much more than like Snickers. I suppose. Now you're talking the song of my people drinking uh, drinking Coke and 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 soda for breakfast out of a bottle, like the tall bottle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'll tell you what, I, I enjoy Halloween. I hope you're enjoying Halloween, starting it with us. I mean, why not? We scare the living shit out of you all the time. Nick, I'll tell you somebody who isn't having a good Halloween. That's right. It's the former vice president of the United States of America, the former governor of Indiana. Uh, Mike Pence has suspended his campaign for the presidency. Uh, let, let, let's hear it from the man himself. Traveling across the country over the past six months, I came here to say it's become clear to me this is not my time. <laughs> so, after much prayer and deliberation, I have decided to suspend my campaign for president effective today. Oh. Now, I'm leaving this campaign, but let me promise you. I will never leave the fight for conservative values, and I will never stop fighting to elect principled Republican leaders to every office in the land. So help me, God. We're good. That's right. He he, he went out like he came in with all of the popularity of tetanus. Uh, my Mike Pence has left the campaign. Um, you know, we, Nick, we've been covering this for a while. Um, we we joked before the the field was even set that that Mike Pence. Um, it, it's really hard to win the nomination for a party that largely believes that you are a treasonous traitor and that you should be hung. We joke that he should run on the campaign of hang Mike Pence. Uh, he did not take our advice in that regard. And what happened was that uh, he went down in an absolute flame of mediocrity, um, not an important political situation in general, but overall, uh, his political autopsy is really, really important and it deserves a moment of examination. It's interesting that like the Republican Party in particular has had these huge fields, right, for several you know, uh, things in a row. Um, and so you're going to get these, you're going to get randos who like try and not a rando, but he jumps in the race. He thinks he's going to have a shot at it. There's so many people in the thing and they all have to just have this. Everyone is going to have the speech except one. And uh, man, I, I think he probably thought um, that Trump would show up for some debates. And I think he thought he was going to be able to like do some, you know, the fly on his head thing and, and maybe like, you know, get at him and say the things he never did say before. And that would boost him up, whatever. But Trump doesn't show up. So he doesn't have any of that stuff. And then he fizzles out. That would take actual courage, Nick. Um, if Trump would have come on stage, I think Mike Pence would have excused himself to have a big bowl of lukewarm, plain vanilla ice cream. I I, I have to say. You know, first of all, I, I want to set the record straight. I saw these articles all weekend. And and by the way, this isn't even on our show, Nick. I was so pissed off all weekend for a variety of reasons, uh, for some that we'll talk about in a little bit, but also because George W. Bush threw out the first pitch of a World Series game. 
Great work, everybody, continuing to rehabilitate that war criminal who should be hanging out at The Hague and not throwing out first pitches in Arlington. But also in these articles talking about Mike Pence, calling him a true Reagan conservative and how the Republican Party has moved away from that, which isn't true at all. It isn't even close to being true. Reagan conservatism was never real in the first place. It was the beginning of the evolution of the modern Republican Party. They weren't for small government. They weren't for fiscal conservatism. These were just cudgels in order to go after people, hurt people, and cut taxes for the rich. Mike Pence didn't lose because he was a Reagan conservative. He lost because they don't like him. They hate him. They've never liked him. His his absolute continued adherence to the evangelical right bothers them because they're not interested in that. They're interested in power. They don't want to hear this rhetoric anymore. They don't want, you know, to sit around shaking each other's hands and patting each other on the back for how good they are. They literally want power. And that's why Mike Pence couldn't do anything because he wasn't even a, a, a person who would go in there and carry out a coup for them, even though he enabled everything that Donald Trump wanted to do constantly 99% of the time. Okay, good. I mean, and that's a good thing to, to parse because, you know, a guy like Mike Johnson, who we're going to talk about, uh, yep. is as religious as, you know, Mike Pence is. And so he's that's probably right. thinking, I'm, I'm religious. They're going to love this. Look how much fervor we were able to stir up love during, it. during the thing. But you're right. It was never about that. It was always about, you know, my team winning. And what anything you can do to make sure that our team wins, because, you know, if we don't cheat, well, the Democrats are going to cheat. They're going to be these, you know, what I, by the way, I love it when Trump describes Democrats as being vicious and all those words. Right. It makes it kind of vicariously makes me feel good. But um, but that's the thing that, that they, they don't like him. They don't like uh, the fact that he was, you know, a God fearing man, whatever. That's nothing to do with anything. It simply is that he didn't cheat. And uh, and that's where we're starting. And I don't even know if Reagan realized at the time that all the rhetoric that he did use to manipulate his wins um, continued to metastasize that. I don't I think they probably thought it was harmless. Right. We're just going to get people to like us and vote for us. But they didn't realize it was going to continue to uh, to, to what, I don't know what the word is. Can you help me describe what what happened to the people that followed Reagan? Yeah. What happened was the evangelical right. They got pandered to. The Republican Party realized that there was an opportunity, particularly with a bunch of different things, including school choice, including women's rights, like all these things coalesced and allowed them to pander to a, a new block of voters. The thing is, the evangelical voters, they believe what they say. The Republicans never believed any of this shit. They thought that it was like weird, superstitious and odd. It put them off. They didn't want to hang out with Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson. You know, they didn't want to sit around talking about talking in tongues and receiving visions. They were interested in tax cuts. They were interested in destro destroying the government and democracy. That was the entire point all along. And you're right about Mike Johnson, who unfortunately we have to talk about in a little bit. The evangelical fervor is a great weapon for dismantling democracy. Because you say, I don't care what other people say, I have God on my side. That's why I should have control. That's why you should listen to me. My God is more powerful than your opinions and your votes. Mike Pence had to continue playing this charade while the Republican Party was like, that's nice, man. Why don't you save that for your Wednesday and Sundays and leave us alone with it? We've got some things to do. And you're exactly right. It was never about evangelicalism. It was a means to an end. Well, for what it's worth, you did mention Falwell. And uh, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that at least Jerry Falwell Jr., Sounds like a lot of fun to hang out with. Jerry Falwell Jr. came out and said, my family didn't believe in it either. We just saw a hell of an opportunity to make a lot of money. Meanwhile, we're going to run around the country and do everything that we want and indulge in our own. Um, and again, I'm using their terms, their own sins of the flesh. They were more than happy to do that. The entire point is at the top of all of this, the Republican Party, their donors, all of it. They look around, they see these people as rubes. They see them as people who are willing to hand over their money, which is all that Mike Pence has ever been. Mike Pence has been a person who believed it too much. He creeped everybody out because he was an actual true believer, because he had to be in order to keep his own sort of self in, in, his, in his politics. And guess what? Nobody wanted that. 
They wanted the guy who would go in on January 6th and go ahead and hand things over to Trump and the rest of the Republican Party. They didn't care how many prayers he did. They didn't care how loyal he was to mother. But this idea that somehow or another he's a a Republican of, of a bygone era, it's bullshit. It was never real to begin with. It was never an actual principle. It was always a cudgel to be used against others. And again, I know this is shocking. Our media misses the point. It's not like it wasn't his time. He just simply didn't have any more money. I mean, right? That's what it comes down to. By the way, can we say real fast, uh, just I want to throw one up, Nick, Um, who I feel really bad for today is not Mike Pence. It's not Mother Pence. Who I feel bad for today, it's the strategist who aren't getting their paychecks anymore. We talked about this in the beginning. Mike Pence got told by a lot of people who wanted paydays, hey, it's your time. You're going to be president of the United States of America. Meanwhile, his poll numbers never got north of like 2%. You're exactly right. A lot of people are not getting paid anymore. I, I, I might have to beep out the word mother. I, it's just, I don't know. The way you say it is really troubling to me. It's bad. It's bad. Yeah. Maybe. It's really it's, bad. It really, yeah. It, though, it's, maybe this is it. He, he's now going to sunset into the... When we won't see him anymore, right? He's gone. He's done. You know, I have to imagine that he'll be like a Mike Huckabee. You know what I mean? Like he'll have some sort of like a radio show or he'll have something on not Fox and probably not maybe Fox Nation or maybe like, you know, one of these things you can find like American Family or something. He'll he'll do something like that. I'm sure. Now, now you got me thinking about Sarah Huckabee Sanders and and uh and uh, it's bad. It's just it's, no matter how you cut. It's all it's all bad. Those are things I do not. You know, I don't want to spend my Monday afternoon. Uh, yeah, I don't blame that. you. And by the way, the reason he dropped out, Nick, is not only because he couldn't draw a married couple to the pizza ranch outside of Des Moines, Iowa. It's because he wasn't going to qualify for next week's third GOP debate. He didn't have the numbers. He didn't have the funders, which, by the way, it's going to be November 8th. Um, we haven't talked about it. we're going to cover that. Right um sure yeah one way or another you know we'll cover it in some way shape or form that's going to be november 8th the third which by the way is going to be wild with what's happening between nikki haley taking over the uh, the second place from ron DeSantis and chris christie like chomping at the hills it's going to be a weird time it's going to be it's going to be a weird show i'll just say that yeah well you know as long as there's not a run on beer i think i'll be okay Okay, good deal. And, and by the way, let's let's check in with Donald Trump. Let's see um let's see how he's taking the news of his former running mate dropping out of this race. A lot of everybody that leaves seems to be endorsing me. You know, people are leaving now and they're all endorsing me. I don't know about Mike Pence. He should endorse me. He should endorse me. You know why? Because because I had a great successful presidency and he was the vice president he should endorse me uh i chose him made him vice president but people people in politics can be very disloyal i've never seen a lot of never changed donald trump uh yeah i mean listen in his adult mind that makes sense to him and why not and by the way speaking of adult mind he's not well uh, we we wanted to talk about this. He's still the presumptive frontrunner uh, within the GOP primary. Um, Nick, things are getting weird with Donald Trump, and and of course he's always been weird. He's always said a bunch of weird stuff, and he's always he's always said a bunch of dumb shit. But there are some things that have been piling up. People want to call them gaffes, but they're not. It, it it seems more and more that when Donald Trump makes a speech or or gives comments on something. Um, it, it does not seem like he's capable of holding a thought for very long. Like in, in the past, he was at least able to sort of spin it into other things. Uh, a couple of highlights. Uh, recently, he's been warning about World War II breaking out. Uh, he, he said that he beat Barack Obama in a presidential con- contest. He's he said in multiple places that he was in the wrong place and an aide had to come up and tell him where he was, a la like spinal tap. Um, it, it doesn't feel good around the Trump campaign right now. I don't know, man. This is this feels like the same shit we saw while he was president, while he was running. I mean, the slurring thing when he kind of catches himself and then he kind of says other stuff. And it's, sure. I wasn't even play that one, but it's it, we all know that. We all know what that sounds like. Sure. So I don't, I, you know, at this point, the way we were at a predicting this was going to be a downhill slide for him over the years, and he hasn't done it. The hamburger and Diet Coke and chocolate cake uh, diet, something about it seems to be sustaining him enough where 
I, I don't think we can hold our breath that he's going to end up uh, getting any worse than he is now and, and making a fool of himself. More I got to tell you, Nick, what you just described was sort of a, an unspoken theory that sort of lingered through a lot of our discourse, almost the pickling theory. The idea that Donald Trump eats so badly and lives so poorly that somehow or another it's rendered him almost like invulnerable yeah. aging. <laughs> uh, that That is actually something that has sort of like been in the ether. I don't know. And I, I want I, I wanted to talk about this for a second, Nick, because there's a couple of other things that are going on. Donald Trump's world is getting very, very small and it is getting very dangerous. Uh, it, for anybody who hasn't been paying attention to this, Jenna Ellis has uh, uh, another person in, in these trials who has gone ahead and pled guilty, seems to be cooperating with the authorities. Uh, Mark Meadows has most definitely been singing to the authorities left and right, so much so that the right has made up these theories that he wore a wire around Donald Trump in order to incriminate him. Um, on top of that, I feel like Trump, for a quote-unquote leader, isn't really speaking to what's happening in the world right now. Like, he's he's having these moments where he'll come out and he'll say, like, Hezbollah's smart or whatever. I kind of feel like culturally he has power. But I also feel like politically, like, something is shifting and moving. I'm not sitting here telling you that he's not going to win the nomination, but I don't know that we've ever seen a figure who, first of all, seems to be declining in real time. His his political and uh, uh, legal situation is worsening by the second. And on top of that, he really isn't figuring into anything going on right now. It is a really um, I, I don't know. What what are your what's your take on this? I do feel like there's probably a little bit of lack of energy. I mean, it's a little early yeah. in the game here before we get to, you know, next year. But um you know, we have to keep our eye on the numbers of people who are going to show up at the rallies when he speaks. It's a really cool, a really key indicator, I think, of where he stands. Because, again, this whole thing is kind of silly when we're looking at polls, we're looking at numbers across the country. This race is going to come down to, what, 60,000 votes in three states, right? That's who it is. And if I you, don't know. You don't know? You don't, you don't think? I don't, I don't know right now. No, you know, I mean, call it seven and four states, whatever it's going to be. So the question here is, is that all these uh, lawsuits like, you know, there might be enough of an effect where you cleave off a few thousand here and a few thousand there, which is going to be instrumental in deciding their, in the election. So uh, it does feel like, yes, as the walls close in, um, I, I, it, I guess you're going to be an internal optimist if you think that, you know, even guilty convictions in all of these cases will sway anybody in the public opinion. But it does, there is something there where after enough, and you've been to the rallies, it's like after enough of them, and it's the same thing over and over again. And it goes on and on and on. You, when the highlights of people cheering, there's one thing, but there's huge gaps where they're just sitting there and like they're leaving or they're like falling asleep. So it's possible that after, you know, now what, what are we on here? 2015 till, you know, eight years of this. It's possible, yeah. right? That like, you know, his stick isn't going to work anymore. I think the people who are going to this are like the diehards. You know, I think it's the people who couldn't quit Trump if they had to. I think those, like to go to a Trump rally right now. And I built my career originally on going to Trump rallies. Like I couldn't imagine going to one right now, which actually makes me curious to try and go to one, you know, like to, to see what's going on now. But yeah, I, want to point way, some, I don't want to make, I think I, my name, I don't know if you heard me. I said like Eagles fans or the diehards, but like, you know, there's not many left. It's or like cool in the gang or not. Uh, uh, yeah. It's a cool thing. One of them doesn't even have any like the original members and they're still touring. Oh, yeah. And they just kind of like move people in and out. Yeah, I, I do. However, and this is one of the things I wanted to talk about before we got out of this segment, Nick. I don't have like total certainty that this coming election will look like the last couple of elections. And, you know, something you said about we all know it's going to come down to this or it's going to come down to this. Electorates change. And elections change in really big ways. And what I'm looking at now, I, I I don't know that you could predict what's going to happen next year for anything. I really, truly don't. What's happening with Biden's numbers right now with the Democratic Party are um, it, it, the, the closest thing that you can find is what happened to Lyndon Johnson with the commencement of the Vietnam War. I, I really don't know if that's going to hold. I don't know what's going to happen in terms of like political affiliations. I was I was sitting there um, 
going through some analysis this morning and going through some, you know, just sort of uh, thought experiments, you know, like, where does this go? How does this happen? If this happens, this happens. Like, I, I think I, I think we're looking also at like a maybe a possible generational shift from liberal to more conservative. Um, you know, someone like a Nikki Haley, like does appeal to a lot of people who probably still consider themselves Democrats. Um, I don't know. I really don't know what's going to happen. That's not putting a marker down or a prediction down. But I, I was talking to Danielle Moody a couple of days ago, and I, I told her this looks a lot like 1968 to me, like the way that this is sort of coming together. I don't know that we can predict it based on the past models of the past couple of years, as unprecedented as those models were. I mean, that's actually a fascinating take I hadn't really considered, yeah. which also makes me think, you know, what would have happened if LBJ actually ran in 68 and didn't say no idea? Up? which then would pull holes in all of my you know, JFK conspiracies. But nonetheless, um, I'm looking at it right now. You can actually call up the polling from you know March and July before he stepped down uh, in 68. Uh, and he looked like he had a pretty solid lead across the board on Nixon, like he would have won. Yeah, it looked like he probably would have won, but also he was looking at possibly people who were going to come after him and primary him. And, you know, we, we just saw, of course, we, we saw someone jump into the primary, the Democratic primary. It's not to be taken seriously. It's not even something we have to analyze. I, I have to tell you, I think a large segment of the Democratic Party is really pissed off at Biden. I think for a variety of reasons. I, I, I don't think it's just what's happening in the Middle East. I think there are a lot of things that have happened over the past few years. And again, we've talked about it. Like, if we're going to call balls and strikes, we're going to sit here and tell you that Joe Biden has had some successes as president of the United States of America. Like he's done some things. He's put some numbers on the board. But at the same time, there are a lot of things that have pushed Democrats to the point where they're like, what in the hell is happening here? Why are we doing this? Why are we continuing to act this way? This new wrinkle of what's happening in the Middle East and how unpopular it is, even within the Democratic Party, I, I want to say he's dropped 13 points with the Democratic base just in the past couple of weeks. We don't know. And we don't even know what this is going to look like in a year. I mean, I, in six months, it could look completely different. I don't know right now if I feel comfortable predicting in any way, shape, or form what's going to happen in November of 2024. I, I, I've said it before. I don't even know if the, the main two uh, competitors are going to make it to it alive. I, I don't know. Sure. I mean, and, and obviously, the, the main thing we, everyone's on uh, everyone, everyone's mind is the economy. And as the economy struggles and we have issues with, you know, whatever inflation is now, if it's up or down, it hasn't nothing's changed at the supermarket. Like those prices have never went down. And obviously that's it's even though it's simplified, that is a thing, a barometer that people will use. And then on top of that, he's old and he mumbles and he struggles to communicate well a lot of the time. Um, and it becomes a thing where it's like we don't want someone this at this age to run again. Um, so I, I, all those things probably contributed to, I think, cause he has done some things. He's been able to get some things done, uh, that you would, you know, tip your cap to and say, okay, that he, this we is, have. Uh, he got us going in the right direction. So I'm not exactly understanding exactly why, other than we're just like, we can't bear to deal with another Biden Trump race. And that's just a sort of depressing everybody. Other than that, it's hard to put my finger on exactly what the, the root of this is. Well, I, I I said it, you know, I want to say it was in the last episode. I, I think I think it's time to move on beyond Joe Biden. I don't think he's the right president for the moment. I don't think he's the right person for the job right now. By the way, I would be completely remiss, Nick, if I didn't say I, I almost forgot at the beginning because I was, you know, complaining about big candy. Congratulations to the United Auto Workers racking up victories and breaking the back of big auto congratulations solidarity winning those things also uh from the muckrake podcast muckrake podcast solidarity to the cvs and walgreens workers who are walking out over the next few days i, I hope you absolutely take them to the woodshed as well by the way speaking of biden and what's going to happen in the the next few months uh this this is one of the more predictable things New Speaker of the House Mike Johnson went on to talk to America's favorite journalist, friend of the pod, Sean Hannity. And uh, Mike Johnson, you know, wanted to let everybody know, hey, hey, don't worry, that Im impeachment inquiry, it's, uh, it's still ongoing. It's a real problem. That's the reason that we shifted into the impeachment inquiry stage on the president himself. Mm -hmm. If, in fact, all the evidence leads to where we believe it will... <laughs> That's very likely impeachable offenses. You know, that's listed as a cause for impeachment in the Constitution. You know, bribery and, and uh, 
other high crimes and misdemeanors, bribery is listed there, and, and uh, it looks and smells a lot like that. And I think the evidence, we're going to follow the truth where it leads. We're going to engage in due process because, again, we're the rule of law party. I know people are getting anxious and they're, they're getting restless and they just want somebody to be impeached. But that's not, we don't do that like the other team. We have, to, we have to base it upon the evidence, and the evidence is coming together. We'll see where it leads. Man, he's a smarmy little shit, isn't he? Yeah. And it's, that's why he's so slightly dangerous is because he loves to couch it in legalese and sort of reasonableness. But then they'll throw shit in there like as if the Democrats impeached Trump for nothing and there was no evidence uh, when Trump admitted to everything that they they brought him up on charges. Uh, I can't get over this notion, though, that like he was a private citizen. And if they were doing deals where he can then make a phone call to somebody he still knew in the government to say, hey, can we do something like that's not bribery. It's it's all so inane, and they keep trying to pretend that they find that they found a check from his brother that seems to be something, and it's not. It, you know, it's embarrassing. It's it's it would be it it should be embarrassing, and yet it's nefarious and and and, and troubling all at the same time. I, I I find it rich that this smarmy little asshole is talking about how they're the party of the rule of law, and he he was trying to overthrow the government of the United States of America. Well done. Also, he gives the whole game away. Which is actually interesting. Like, there's something in his personality that I don't think can handle this job necessarily. He even says, "If this leads where we think it will lead, like he he can't even just like let it sit. You know, he has to go ahead and push that extra step." We've said it before on this podcast: if Joe Biden did something impeachable, we would support the impeachment of Joe Biden. This is a fishing expedition. This was a fait accompli from the very beginning. They probably are going to impeach him. And it probably is going to happen as a world crisis continues to worsen. Like, oh. I want to point that out again. They're going to probably impeach the president of the United States of America while a world crisis is worsening, which, uh, uh, you know, if you want to talk about them being a national security party is wild. Well, here's the thing, though. Um, they need to time it properly, right? Yeah. They need to time it to how the, the, you know, where we are in the race. And so, they might end up trying to string it out longer until we get closer to the presidential um, election because it could still be up in the air. They're in the middle of it. Because remember, they're not going to be able to prove any of this stuff, most likely. And so they need to have it in the air, whatever. And if it, if it, if it becomes a thing where he gets exonerated uh, and the impeachment doesn't isn't successful in the Senate, then they that will be bad, right? So they, 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 I feel like they need to keep the smoke going uh, as much as, as long as they can. That's a real possibility. Well, speaking of this piece of shit, um, Nick, I, I wanted to go over this article. This was in uh, the Washington Post. And and by the way, for anybody who doesn't follow this stuff, I don't know if you saw this, but Jeff Bezos basically like met with them and sent off a warning shot, which was like, you're doing a lot of good work. I assume that eventually we will get back to the point where we're making money. We love it when our oligarchs tell our news media that we hope that they make money. The Washington Post had this article uh, about Mike Johnson. Uh, it, it was titled House Speaker Mike Johnson's Louisiana Hometown Guided by Faith and Family. It was by Molly Hennessy Fisk. Nick, how do you think I felt when I read that headline? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm assuming that you don't believe that his faith and his family are really things that guide him in, uh, in his life. Well, I think he thinks it. And on top of that, I really love whenever we do this old song and dance talking about communities as homogenous groups. So what I did was cracked my old knuckles. I, I, I put my, you know, lean back, put my feet up. Nick, let's take a look at a little bit of this. This is from the beginning. Oh, man. Shreveport, Louisiana. In this small town masquerading as a city. Awful opening. A mention of newly elected House Speaker Mike Johnson during the lunchtime rush at Strawn's Eat Shop 2, home of the Icebox Pie, drew an interruption. Are you talking about Mike Johnson, said a woman in a flowered blouse, gold cross necklace, and gray ponytail? I'm his mom. Jean Gigi Johnson, 69, had been sharing a celebration lunch Thursday with her cousin here in the central Broadmoor neighborhood, pausing to greet fellow diners as her cell phone exploded with well wishes. Johnson saw her son's selection in spiritual terms. Quote, God did this, she said. It's so good for America. Great start. This is a great start to this article. But you got do you need to have the uh, sarcasm font in there or are people going to know what you mean? Nick, Nick. Before we go any further, first of all, this guy 
this Mike Johnson asshole going everywhere says that, you know, God has put made him speaker of the house. He said, you know, that that women and gay people deserve to be oppressed and, and has done white nationalistic shit, tried to overthrow an election. This is how one of the major papers of record is going to start. We were in a restaurant and we came across his mom and she said, God did this. Can you? Oh, I mean, no. really? Really? I mean, it's an advertisement for the restaurant, too. I mean, that's the other thing. I wonder how, wonder how that got in there. Listen, I wouldn't mind a little icebox pie right now. Yeah, icebox pie does sound good. It's really good. Moving forward, in Northwest Louisiana, people navigate their lives by family and faith. What a sentence. I'm glad you got taught to do that, Molly. That's a wonderful sentence that means nothing. The politician raised here shares a heavy reliance on both. What a great value statement. Mike Johnson, 51, is a staunch conservative who championed religious causes before he was elected to the state legislature in 2015 and to Congress the following year. Although more low profile than other Donald Trump supporters in Congress, he played a pivotal role in in the effort to overturn the 2020 election and opposes abortion rights, gun control and same sex marriage views shared by many supporters at home. In accepting the speakership last week, Johnson prayed on the House floor and said, quote, God is the one that raises up those in authority. Wonderful stuff. Great stuff. Yeah, I guess. Which God? Which God are we talking about? Oh, we'll get to that. That's the fun part in all of this. I I, want to say before we read any more of this, Nick, Molly, Hennessy, Fisk, and the Washington Post should be ashamed of themselves for this article. Like, we've seen Trump diner articles that are really, really bad. This thing, this thing is one of the worst I've read. Go on. I I will. Moving forward. Quote, it's a cultural conservatism, a view not only of politics, but of religion and faith, said Royal Alexander, 56, a conservative lawyer, referring to what guides much of the community in Johnson, who got to who he got to know after college. Quote, people here are rugged individuals who want to make their own decisions. I don't know about you, Nick, but nothing says to me that a person is a rugged individual making up their own mind about things than being a part of organized religion. Oh, or how about forcing other other people to adhere to this religion that you believe in? We just think that we, I'll tell you what, Nick, around here, we like to believe that people should do what we tell them to do. And that is rugged individualism. I'm glad that you brought out the accent because I was was surprised you didn't give royal uh, Royal. treatment there. It's interesting. And by the way, that's the song of my people. I'm not even talking down at these people. That's how my people talk and and all of this bullshit. Like if this was written about my community, it's so full of faith and and, and really, oh man, this pisses me off. Moving forward. Quote, customer Beth Hayes, a retired registered nurse from Shreveport, said she was proud of Johnson and had high hopes for him as speaker. A registered Democrat, Hayes, 83, said she has become more independent in recent years. She's a Methodist who respects LGBTQ plus rights, even though her church doesn't allow same-sex marriage or ministers, feels conflicted about abortion and voted for Trump twice. I want to say that again, voted for Trump twice. She said she appreciated Johnson's support for Trump's fight to overturn the 2020 election, but believes Biden ultimately won. She called the January 6th attack on the Capitol the worst thing I have ever seen in my life and said she isn't so sure who she will vote for in 2024. Quote, we need to stand up for our rights, but we can do it in a more civilized manner than Trump does, Hayes said. She hopes Johnson will be able to do that by working with Democrats. Nick, for the 14,000th time on this show, I present to you the fundamentally confused American voter. I don't. I mean, how can you describe the January sixth uh, insurrection as the worst thing I've ever seen in my life, and then not be sure if she'll vote for Trump again? What I know. Here, what is possible? You know, everything else she says sounds like she's from nineteen seventy six, right? Something like that. I don't know. Some era around that time, right? Ever they can work together, yada yada. But like, I cannot believe that as a registered Democrat and who voted for Trump twice and said that stuff, this is the the torque that must exist and must make life unbearable to people like this. The average American voter, and more specifically, the average quote unquote independent voter of the United States of America, are so confused about literally everything. They are walking around as 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 living, breathing contradictions. That like here, like literally, she she. She supported Trump going after the election, but thought that Biden won. 
hated January 6th, but is supporting one of the people who tried to carry it out. And on top of that, hopes he works with Democrats. What world are we talking about here? Like, what world is this? The, it's an inherent unhappiness from that confusion that you described. It doesn't matter who would win. It'd be, no. It would be exactly like the graduate in the bus where like Trump gets in there and they win. And then they're sitting there in the back of the bus realizing, oh, what the hell did we just do? They'll never be happy with these kind of dichotomous things, you know, swirling around their brains. It, it doesn't doesn't fit. So this is the root of the issue here is there constantly a, a continuous sense of uh, of, uh, of of outrage and, and um, an uneasiness. And it has nothing to do with who's in the White House. I want to I'm going to read this next excerpt real fast, Nick. And, and while I'm doing it, I think this is a prime moment for some uh, media literacy to see what the Washington Post and the New York Times, like what happens in these things. So I'm going to break this section up into two just very, very quickly. Quote, others here have their doubts, particularly in Shreveport's mostly black and low income Moortown neighborhood. Do you notice here, by the way, that we have the main community that hopes that Johnson will work with Democrats, and then we have a black community that has its doubts? Do you yeah. notice that the white community gets first and the black community gets put second? That's what's called the white gaze, people, which is that normal, regular people are white. Then everybody else is different. Others. Okay. Yes. Wait, what? Others. The, the yes, others. Uh, they are others. So, okay, let's let's see what uh, what what's said here. Quote, he was part of that exodus from Shreveport. He didn't stay and make the community better, and as a congressman, he has done little to make the community better, said the Reverend Theron Jackson, the black pastor of 94-year-old Morningstar Missionary Baptist Church. By the way, this is a great point, that that uh, Johnson was actually part of the white flight away from the main city. He was a product of people who were worried about being around black people. That might inform his politics. That might be important in understanding how he carries himself. Would it not be, Nick? I, I Listen, anybody from those areas, I, we, I'm sorry if you're from Alabama, but like some of these places are, are, are almost disqualifying, I would think. Well, no, like if you are poor and you can't get out of these places, that's one thing. White flight is about not being poor. White flight is about having the resources and saying, you know what we don't want? We don't want to be around people of color. So, like, let's see what continues. This is amazing, Nick. A former Shreveport City Council member, Jackson, 54, was once a Democrat but said he now considers himself an independent. He's working to counter homelessness and what he calls transgenerational poverty that dates to segregation. Did you catch that, Nick? What he calls transgenerational poverty poverty i mean okay i mean it's it's it's, they don't want to put words in his mouth i guess right nick it's not that it's that it's not something he's making up it is a statistically empirically proven thing that since segregation you have people of color who have been kept from having the same opportunities as white people that is something that academics and experts have proven time and again the washington post though goes ahead and throws what he calls did you notice any of that with Johnson's relatives or the people looking to support him? No. It is a really, really weird, weird inclusion. Now, real fast to get to the end of this, Nick, because you 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 nailed it a second ago. Orlando's Cafe, run by the same family since 1921, had been a mainstay of Shreveport's black community, a popular spot for Democrats to declare their candidacy. As security guard Jesse Lee, 72, lined up for takeout stuffed shrimp Friday at the... Man, that sounds good right now. I know. Ooh, to stuff shrimp Friday at the bar overlooking Cross Lake, he said his top concerns were the economy, crime, and looking out for the needy. Lee, a Democrat and U.S. Air Force veteran who is black, agreed with Johnson that more needs to be done to help the welfare of the city. He's been following Johnson's career and is waiting to see whether he takes action as a speaker to help all of those back home. Quote, I think he will. Our state of Louisiana has been so divided for so long, it's about time we come together, Lee said, because we all serve the same God. Who's this God? You're telling me everybody in Shreveport serves the same God? Like, what kind of a quote is that to end the article on? 
Right. I don't, that, in the case it wasn't clear, that's the end of the article. That's how you wrap That's it. the end of the article. Yeah. And a nice little pro, prosaic bow of uh, of Jesus. And it's I, we can say Jesus, right? That's what we're talking about. That's who, yeah, no, we're we're talking about Jesus Christ and, and, and Yahweh is what we're talking about. <laughs> we're like, that's that's what this is. What the hell is this article? Right. I don't know. I mean, because, you know, somehow Jesus has it really intervened really a lot in the last, you know, 20 years in our politics and helped did us. You, did you notice as well the undercurrent in this article, which is the people of Shreveport are like, man, this city has not been well taken care of. And Mike Johnson is one of the guys who hasn't taken care of this city. I hope that he does now. Right. You know, I don't know. I think he's a little busy. He's probably too busy to be to, to, uh, paying attention to Shreveport now. I don't know. How, how in the living hell do they keep doing this, Nick? Like, I, I have my thoughts. What do you think? Why why does an article like this come out? I have thoughts. What are yours? Well, I mean, the, at the very least, you you talk about this a lot uh, in, in terms of people who are really religious are already primed to believe. They love it. Stuff. And so it's easily swayed to whatever the leader is guiding them towards. So that's part of it. But as far as, like, how this gets into the... Uh, into the into the Washington Post is another altogether. I mean, you, you know how this works. Uh, the guy just got uh, you know elected to Speaker of the House. You need to have content that has a headline that has the word Mike Johnson in it. Uh, you need to scurry. To, uh, is that the right? Whatever. You need to you need to quick, quickly find someone to write something. You know, whatever. She's based in Texas, by the way, Molly Hennessy Fitz. Get her over there. She's a couple states away, and um, and, and you know, and just get something up. Right. I almost feel like that that might be a big part of this as well. Well, and, and they're the same. You you would you would really have a problem understanding this if it didn't happen with everybody. They did the same thing with Jim Jordan whenever it looked like he was going to going to become the next speaker of the house. And they put out an article that was like a grizzled wrestler, blah, blah, blah. They have to take even the most extreme people. And Mike Johnson is incredibly extreme. This is a person who not only believes he was chosen by God to do what he does, but that everything that he is doing, including oppressing people, overthrowing democracy, has been gone ahead and been given the go ahead by that God. That's an incredibly dangerous person. What they have to do is they have to couch them in some sort of a homey haze of, uh, uh, you know, something that makes him seem less dangerous because they are part of the establishment. They do not want to believe that the people taking over the, the, the institutions, that they're actually dangerous because then they might be dangerous or they might be a problem. So what are they going to do? They're going to go ahead and wrap this person in the, the veil of acceptability. They, did, they do it constantly with everybody because, except for Trump, right, because they hate Donald Trump. And the, and they they will give Trump a here and there. They're like, well, his, his what what were the his untruths or yeah. his mistruths, right? His exaggerations, alternative reality, his alternative reality, right? And and every now and then they'd be like, we think he might be dangerous for democracy, especially if it helps them sell newspapers and subscriptions. But what they have to do is they have to continue telling this story, and it doesn't matter what they're normalizing because they're fine with it. They have no problem with Mike Johnson or anything that he's pushing. I guess. I mean, you know, I, I under the whitewashing of this stuff is is there's lots of reasons to do it. I, I'm getting stuck on the notion of if I was the editor and I know that he just got appointed out of nowhere, we don't have anything prepared, you know, get somebody out there, just write it. Like they probably didn't edit this piece very much either. Like they were such a hurry to get it out there too. So um, I, I wonder if it's even that much thought put into it other, other than headline, first sentence, picture, uh, you know, tweeted. That, I, I, I got, I got to tell you though, Nick, the stuff that happens in this article, if this is just the default, like out of nowhere response to it, this is so finely crafted, like in terms of point of view and linguistically and rhetorically, that if that's the case, then they are just they are just running on straight white gaze and normalization. Like no. if this if this if this was an accident, I I you know I and I think it's, I think it's unconscious. I don't think anyone goes about writing this article and being like, man, I'm going to take this monster and make everybody feel better about them. But like this is. 
this is regular regular americana bullshit no that actually is a really good point like for what it's worth like and the reason why i'm on this thing is it's basically what i do on the on the basketball side right i have to react to big news i have to quickly get something out uh i don't do anything i don't i'm not interested in i don't make and and i'm not making it high quality so i don't just you know do clickbait bullshit but but I will say that I have people who do stuff for me sometimes, and I have to edit, edit quickly. Can you do a little da, 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 da? They send it over. And do I, like, watch the whole thing all the way through frame by frame before I send it over mm-hmm. to get published? Like, maybe not. Maybe if they've done it a few times and I feel pretty good about it. So, you know, that you know those are the things that you, you kind of sometimes wonder about how this goes as well. But but you are right. There is a craftedness to this that has clearly been thought out. Um, and it'd be interesting to go through some of Molly Hennessy Fisk's other you know, articles to see if this is a, a through line. It's, it, I looked around. It's, it's got some, it, it, there's some notes to it. I'll just okay. say that. Nice. Uh, yeah, that was a lot. Um, real fast before we, before we finish this episode, and obviously there will be more developments and we'll get into them uh, on the weekender and beyond. Uh, Nick, the, uh, the ground invasion in Gaza has begun in limited terms. There've been some forays, some movement there. Uh, it, it's, it's been, heating up in a lot of different ways. Uh, God knows how many people have been killed. There have been so many journalists that have been just absolutely mowed down in the middle of this by last count. Uh, it's dozens. Uh, we've also seen Israel strike Lebanon and Syria. The U.S. retaliated against Iranian targets in Syria. Um, we, we, we've also got a lot of other things, including Erdogan in Turkey, who is starting to uh, make noise about declaring war on Israel. Hamas was in Russia. Uh, there was a Russian mob in an airport that was attempting to carry out a pogrom. Uh, an absolute disastrous mess. My heart is breaking every single day in new ways that I didn't even expect. Um, this thing just continues to roll completely out of control. Uh, I, I agree. I think that, you know, again, it's a there's two versions of what the war expanding is. Is it like Turkey and uh, in, the, in the immediacy are there or does it go out to Iran? Iran is the second circle we have to be much more concerned about because it seems like, you know, they're used to having a, a lot rockets lobbed in from Turkey or from, um, you know, from Gaza or from other places nearby. Um, that's all sort of ho-hum stuff that we've seen before. But uh, here, here's, I think, a question. I was going to ask because, you know, there's a lot of sort of uh, anti-Israel sentiment going around across the world. We're seeing a lot of, um, you know, marches in different cities across the world. And uh, so so one of the takes could very well be, you know, all they have to do is release the hostages and Israel would stop. But that but here's the question. That's I wonder what your, your answer would be is would Israel if, if all of a sudden to ne- in an hour from now, all all 253 hostages are marched across the border back to Israel. Would Israel then stop this insurgency through Gaza? No. You don't think so? No, I don't. Not for a second. I, okay. I, 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 think that, I think the hostage, first of all, I want the hostages to be safe. I want to be very clear about that because, you know, I don't want to be flippant in how I answer this stuff. I want the hostages to be safe. I want the uh, Israeli citizens to be safe, but I also want the Palestinian people to be safe. I think that you always have to talk about the individuals caught in the middle of this. But no, I, I feel like when people say the hostages first, I'm sorry, but you don't carry out a bombing of Palestine if you really worry, like this especially, if you're worried about the hostages. I don't think you do. I think that I think what we're watching here is an indiscriminate attack on that area that isn't particularly worried about that. I think that that's a really quick way to answer things. But I would much rather have a ceasefire and figure out how to get the hostages back and go from there. That's that's okay. my opinion. So, uh, by the way, so if we continue that train of thought then. Um, this is this is really more of an excuse to try and just get rid of Hamas militarily. I think that's safe to say. I don't saying. think that they have any other solutions. I don't think that, that Benjamin Netanyahu has the beginnings of a solution. For, by, by the way, and I wanted to hit on this. I'm glad you, you asked this. Like, Netanyahu has been asked multiple times by the Israeli media, have you thought about stepping down? No one wants you to be the leader right now. And his answer every time is, I'm going to take down Hamas. That's mm-hmm. all that he said. This is about elite, who, by the way, would probably go to jail if, if like he ended up out of power, much like Donald Trump. Like there's nothing else that they have to offer. There's no what they're, they're not willing to talk about figuring out how to have two states or how to how to have safety. That's not at all what Netanyahu's interested in. This is all he's got. Right. And, and then we specify that it's Netanyahu's not interested in that. Yeah, he, his, his quote was. Calls for a ceasefire are calls for Israel to surrender to Hamas. That's bullshit. That's mindset. That's but here's the interesting question then is um, if this is now going to be the pretext to get rid of Hamas militarily, 
and they had understood this was going to happen beforehand. And it wasn't, uh, perhaps this was not a huge intelligence failure. And they were thinking, okay, this is our chance now to finally get rid of Hamas, which is what they're doing now. And it's sort of reverse engineering what we've learned since. Um, I, I wonder if that's ultimately going to come out that, you know, there were a lot more warning signs that they, they, they did ignore. And I know it might be a little bit of a conspiracy theory, but it does, it something rings true to this when you factor in everything we know about Netanyahu anyway. I was having a conversation the other day. I think, I think in modern terms, it is much better to err on the side of thinking that things happen because of incompetence or weakness. You know, I I think going back to the idea that Netanyahu or right wing strongman, like, you know, saying like a George W. Bush could have understood that 9-11 was coming. Of course, our intelligence told us that was happening. It wasn't a priority. They were not interested in it. And on top of that, they're bad leaders. Mm-hmm. I think in all of this, it's it's much more likely that, you know, there was uh, intelligence failures all the way around. There was not good governance. Netanyahu is much more interested in saving his own ass and also engaging in corruption for him, his friends, his family, and you name it. Like, I, I think it's much more likely that that happened. And now that it's happened, there's no other way to go. There's no imagination. And and by the way, the idea of, quote unquote, militarily destroying Hamas, you can't do that. Like there, there is no way to militarily destroy terrorism. That doesn't work. It, it does. It's not it's not like going in and destroying a nation state. You know, you're not like taking out like leaders like one leader dies. Another one takes their place. Like it's not like they're going to hold elections or something's going to cease to exist right now. You're right. Like Iran is the next circle of this thing. And we're already seeing, I mean, Lebanon uh, and, and and Syria are already like these circles that are being brought into all of this. Iran's the next one. We, we told everybody when this happened, undoubtedly that Iran played a role in this in some way, shape or form, that Russia and China had to have known that something was going on. This just continues to be shown left and right. Now, all of a sudden you have Erdogan in Turkey who, for the record, for people who aren't aware of this, is a NATO ally who is now talking about possibly declaring war on Israel after originally he said that he felt bad for Israel. The energies in his state have moved around so much that now he's out on front saying he could possibly send troops to Gaza and declare war. Um, Also, we're watching. We haven't talked about this at all, Nick. Donald Trump's attacking of NATO and I have I have a lot of criticism for NATO. I really, truly do. I have a lot of reasons to sit here and tell you that NATO has had problems. But the, the attacks that Donald Trump had on NATO, they did what they were supposed to do. And it's not like he woke up one day and felt this, right? This was the right-wing authoritarian movement that felt this. He has gone ahead and chipped into the alliance. And you can't look at what's happening in Turkey with Erdogan without realizing that Donald Trump and the right-wing attack on NATO absolutely played into it. But it it wasn't a right-wing attack. It was a Russian attack. That's why... That's what I'm saying, that larger movement, yes. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, Yeah, that's why it was so concerning that we thought that Trump was some sort of asset of Russia because... Here's a leader of the free world, you know, spouting off the exact same rhetoric that Putin would. And uh, that was, you know, as, as concerning as anything. In fact, you know, that quote came up recently where somebody in NATO was like, what does that mean? You mean you're not going to protect us if somebody attacks us? And he goes, you're darn right I won't. That's what Trump had told them, uh, you know, in the, one of those meetings. So um, it is it is really, really frightening to think that uh, these alliances that were, you know, the kind of things that kept the, the world in some sort of, uh, balance are now yeah. going to be thrown out of this. And especially we've always known that the Middle East is going to be an area that's going to be a real problem if it does break out. It was the American order and the American order has almost completely collapsed at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, like this stuff does not happen if there is some sort of a, a, of a power over all of it. Like right now, you, you again have a, a large situation where America is just groping around in the dark. There's not a lot in terms of of leadership here outside of trying to keep this thing from escalating. Meanwhile, our culture, Nick, is just absolutely a mess. Like any conversation about what should happen, like you literally you are in two camps and there's no way whatsoever for a conversation to even begin to happen. The right is so far uh, a mess. Like they they have no coherent message on any of this. Some of it goes through anti-Semitism. Some of it goes through, um, uh, you know, American first sort of ideology. Like they've got, they've got all kinds of different things going on. Meanwhile, having a conversation 
conversation about maybe we shouldn't be bombing civilians. I, I, I have watched it personally. Like you can't say that without it just absolutely descending into chaos at this point. Like this is a mess. And, and, and not only is it a mess because of what's happening on the ground and the tragedies that are unfurling, but the culture and the discourse that we have at this point, it's disastrous. And I don't know, honestly, I don't know how, like, this Pandora's box gets closed. I, I've told people that, you know, things were going to get a lot worse before they got better. And it feels like that's what's happening. Yeah. It feels like things are things are uh, deteriorating in a hurry. And I am, again, my heart is broken every single day now. And I just look at this and I'm like, I don't know how this gets put back together at this point. For what it's worth, Israel is allowing aid to get in through uh, into Gaza. I think they need something like two trucks with like a loaf of bread for people. Well, well, they need a hundred trucks a day to to actually service everybody that's there. And there, they were, no, there was, there was, I think 30 or 40 trucks is what they were quoting in a day. So there's, you know, they're getting stuff in there, but the the first aid workers are all getting slaughtered as well. uh, It's part of this. And that's another issue aside from even the journalists. And so um, again, this this is a war and uh, they're in in the midst of trying to prosecute a war. The, the interesting thing that J.D. Vance, friend of the show, came went on one of the shows and was talking about how uh, he didn't want to vote for aid to Gaza because he was convinced that none of it would get to where it needed to go because Hamas would steal it and take it and give it to the soldiers instead of the, of the civilians. Uh, I'm not so sure how unreasonable that take is yeah. uh, you know, at this point. I mean, there has been evidence in the past where Hamas has taken that aid and not distributed it properly. But at this point, uh, I guess there's no evidence either way. But uh I find do, you know it, how much, do you know how much U.S. aid has gone to warlords that we knew full and well that they were going to take it the, the moment it fell off a plane? Mm-hmm. Like, like that's 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 been the vast majority of U.S. aid following World War II. The amount of dictators and authoritarians that we've propped up, like it would make your head spin if you had an actual list in front of you. I, I, I just want to say this. I, and th- this, I think, is something I'm going to say a lot. I do not know in any way, shape, or form how you can square in your head innocent people not only dying, but starving and dying of thirst. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how anybody can do it. And you can talk strategically. You can talk about what has happened. You can talk about geopolitics. You can talk about geopolitical reality. I don't know how you do it. And and I, I, don't, I don't know how anybody can look at this and just be like, you know, these people, they're, they're not so innocent. Like that's the that's the shit we said about Al Qaeda. That's the shit we said about ISIS. And I, I I just I reject that. I feel I feel like if 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 you take a look at this through human eyes and you get rid of labels like Israel or Hamas or any of it, like you look at another human being and they deserve to live. I, I don't I don't care where they are or who they are. They deserve to live. Yeah, no, all all uh, very good sentiment. I mean, for me, if if you're going to ask me about the militants in Hamas who you know committed out committed the atrocities, I'm not feeling very sorry for them. Well, I'm not sitting here defending them either. I, I also I reject that idea that like if you're for the Palestinian people living and not being terrorized, that somehow or another you're supporting Hamas. And I know that in this dichotomous culture, a lot of people are starting to do that. I don't. I, I don't think that I don't think a group of people should like go into people's houses and and, and take them physically and hurt them and kill them. I, I, I'm not for that. But I also think that we should look at other people and see people. Right. And it's unreasonable to assume that like any uh, innocent Gazan would support uh, Hamas willingly. That's the other thing. Like, you know, you, you, you're not going to be on a corner talking badly about Hamas and survive that. Ooh. You're not voting against them in an election and survive. Do you know how long it's been since they've had a vote? Yeah, like, like Hamas took over and, and created an authoritarian rule of these people. And, and, and by the way, that doesn't mean that they're going to greet the Israelis as liberators, you know, as, as friend of the pod, Dick Cheney would say. Mm-hmm. But I, I just I, I, I think that all this strategically, it's a mess. Ethically, morally, it's a mess. And, and I just Nick, I don't know what we're going to be talking about when we come in here on Friday. Like it, every single day, it's just developing and geopolitically it's a mess. And, and like I said, humanitarian wise, it's an absolute mess. It's awful. It, it does feel a little bit like the Republican, um, you know, the biggest Republican motivator is wait till we get all these uh, horrible policies in that are so unpopular because you'll see eventually that it'll be great for everybody. And I kind of feel like Netanyahu is doing the same thing here. Yeah. 
And, yeah. uh, and yeah, I, I don't see, I don't see how it's great for anybody. And it would take, it's going to take 50 years before they could get anything settled. If they do everything perfectly starting from today. We can't just sit here and say this side is good and this side is bad. There are no good sides here. Like there really are not any good sides in any way. No matter how you scrap this, the United States of America is not good, right? They're not white hat cowboys. Israel certainly is not. Basically, the Netanyahu regime is an authoritarian regime. Like, and by the way, it, like idolizes someone like uh, uh, Orban who's one of the world's biggest anti-Semites. And why does he Why does he look to him? Because of his authoritarian energies. Loves it. Loves it. Absolutely has flirted with all of these people all along. But you also can't sit here and look at Hamas and Iran and Russia and China and say that they're good because they're on the other side from this. It's a big, complicated mess because that's what geopolitics is. When you lose track of human beings and you're caring about power and profit over human beings, that's when bad shit happens. And unfortunately, that's where we are. Well said. Yeah, I was going to talk about pogroms in in Russia. <laughs> like, like I, I, we were going to get into that. There's not enough time for it. Maybe we'll save it for the weekender because that's that was like where the uh, the original uh, elders of the the protocols of Zion. That's or protocols of the elders of Zion. That's a hard one to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, it's it was straight out of uh, Fiddler on the Roof going on at that at that airport in uh, in Russia. Awful, awful. And we're going to see more of that shit. I hate it. All right, everybody, we're going to come back with The Weekender on Friday. If you need us before then, uh, well, actually, if you want to listen to that, go to patreon.com slash podcast. If you need us before then, you can find Nick at Can You Hear Me? SMH. You can find me at JY Saxton. Stay safe out there, trick-or-treating, yeah? Yeah.